Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, I'd have to say that Harold Washington was the most fun to cover because he was uh, so charming and had such a good entertaining fight with Eddie Verdoliak and the Verdoliak 29 during the Council Wars. So you got to give the most fun to Harold Washington. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is my longtime friend and colleague, WLS Radio City Hall reporter and talk show host, Bill Cameron. Bill, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Franny. Almost a year ago, you were a guest on my show, and we celebrated 50 years that you had at that time covering City Hall and Illinois politics. It was an extraordinary achievement in any profession, really, but certainly in this ever-changing media landscape. At that time, we talked about the fact that you were contemplating retirement. You ultimately decided not to retire. You stayed on for almost another year, and now you have finally decided that 51 years almost is enough. Why did you make that decision then, and why have you made a different decision now? Well, you know, you go through stages when you get to be a certain age, and you decide whether you'll miss the job you love or not. A year ago, I would have really missed it. A year later, you begin to see uh, that half a century of day-to-day work on the City Hall beat is probably enough. Things don't seem quite as important, although they are, because I've seen them like 16 times over the years, and the problems never go away, and they really never get solved. So at this time on the political calendar, before the 2022 and 2023 campaigns start heating up for real, it's a good time for me to exit. Did it have anything to do with this very extraordinary year and a half or so that we've all been through working from home? The pandemic has really caused quite a few people to reassess their entire lives and what's really important to them in their lives. Well, that that now that I now that you mentioned it, uh, commuting again would be a big negative. I've really enjoyed working from home. Uh, since the pandemic has been going on, and uh, they want us all to come back to the office uh, the day after Labor Day. I don't want to do that. That's, uh, you know, when Metro breaks down, that's a three-hour commute inside a train car with people who've probably got COVID. I just don't want to go through that anymore, especially in the winter. So, that's you're right. That's part of the reason. The pandemic is part of the reason. Uh, enjoying working from home and not wanting to go back to uh, commuting. What have you learned about yourself this year that you didn't know before? Hmm. Um. Good question. 
I guess I've learned that it's time to do other things, like some traveling. One of the first things we'll do, uh, the Delta variant permitting, is spend October in Florida, hit some more national parks, think about a book. UIC seems to be interested in my audio archive. So there are things to do, which, you know, and I've learned I should probably put some of my effort into those things rather than the day-to-day deadlines. You also have had health challenges in recent years. Did that play a role? You know, it really didn't. I just had such great doctors in the prostate cancer. I survived. And, uh, you know, I guess in the long term, when you when you turn 75, as I will in September, uh, you realize your days are numbered. And that has a factor in a decision like this. But it's not the key factor. And the uh, cancer is gone. And the subsequent testing and checkups look fine. And I'm glad to hear that. You've covered, I think it is eight mayors, starting with Richard J. Daley. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who was the best? Who was the most fun to cover? Who was the most corrupt? Who had their finger most on the pulse of everyday Chicagoans? Well, I'd have to say that Harold Washington was the most fun to cover because he was uh, so charming and had such a good, entertaining fight with Eddie Verdoliak and the Verdoliak 29 during the Council Wars. So you got to give the most fun to Harold Washington. And of course, I'm a little biased because he would come over to WMAQ where I was working at the time and every month do my Sunday show along with me asking questions and Harry Golden and Bob Davis, our fellow City Hall reporters, and making a lot of news and having a lot of fun. So he was the uh, he was the most fun. Now, the most corrupt, (laughs) Uh, there are so many. And one of the fascinations of this beat is that uh, they just so many, too many aldermen and too many mayors because of the pressures of the office and their own ambitions, just uh, the way I like to put it is they just won't stop stealing. And by by that, I mean, they won't stop being corrupt uh, in many forms and fashions. I guess you've got to give, oh, it's it's hard. It's easier with the governors than it is the mayors, but Richard J. Daley, having all the power, both in the city government and the party and the absolute loyalty of his followers, had the most chance to be uh, the most flexible, shall we put it? Uh, certainly the most boring was Mike Melandic for whom we used to say automatic doors would not open for this man. <laughs> Are you saying that Richard J. was the most corrupt well, because I'm, he I'm, had the most power? I'm, I'm holding back from saying that much because the feds looked at him up and down for 40 years or whatever it was, and they couldn't indict him. So you can't tag him with being corrupt. Although he used to be the county clerk and, uh, when his successor, Eddie Barrett, was indicted and convicted for taking 500 bucks per voting machine, uh, this was established at his trial, I asked his prosecutor, Dan Webb, in a, a cafeteria line once, if Eddie Barrett's predecessor was doing the same thing, 
And he acknowledged, perhaps thinking it was off the record, well, yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's why I lean toward Richard J., because power corrupts, and you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, he was a kingmaker. Patronage was king. He was the chairman of the party where a lot of his power emanated from most of it. Uh, the news media was less aggressive. Television was just coming into his, its own. Daly called it the box, as he put it. He was so incredibly powerful. Uh, you know, presidential candidates made the trek to Chicago to kiss his ring. And his endorsement made the difference, as we found out in 1960. And LBJ also, right? Uh, I mean, that's, And so you right. have that much power. You really have an incredible thing that he had that no other mayor that you've covered ever had. That's right. And when that absolute power is at his disposal, that's where it absolutely corrupts. So, you know, while he never got indicted or convicted, so many around him did. You know, uh, Jim Thompson made his career as U.S. attorney, becoming governor the longest serving governor by uh, prosecuting all those dirty Democrats down at City Hall. Do you believe the election was stolen in 1960 in Chicago, as a lot of people did? Well, I can't tell. I, I, I heard Danny Rostenkowski insist it absolutely wasn't, but certainly the opportunity was there to do so. And the other factor in Daly's favor is that Nixon didn't make a big issue of it. So again, you, you gotta give him a pass, even though you wouldn't be surprised if it was stolen. You entered a press room of all white men when you came back to Chicago. Now Lori Lightfoot is making that very same argument. She refused to grant midterm interviews to white reporters, only to reporters of color. What did you think of that decision she made, the point she was trying to make, and did she hurt herself or help the cause? What did it say about her? It's a little disingenuous for me to complain about this because I'm the white male reporter that Lori Lightfoot really likes, and she does come on my Sunday show once a month or two regularly and does make, two, make news. But, but I guess my impression is that, at least nationally, she probably hurt herself by seeming to be biased toward minorities. Although I do respect the point she was trying to make, that there aren't enough minorities in the media generally, which I think we all agree is true. So if I sound like I'm double talking, it's because I've been covering politicians for too long. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... Did you think she was trying to change the subject uh, from the tough questions and change it and make it about this statement she was making? Or was she really sincere in making the point or was it both? I think she was sincere. And you have to admit that out in pressers during the weeks and in other interviews, we all do ask her the tough questions and she's ready to answer them. I just think she wanted to make that point And she did. You've talked about the old school press room, Jay McMullen, Harry Golden Jr., Ray McCarthy, Bob Crawford, my own husband, Dick Stone. Uh, when you say old school, what do you mean? Do you mean misogynistic? Do you mean philandering? Uh, Jay and Jane Byrne 
had their relationship going on. He, he talked about rolling over and scooping the Tribune. He would go upstairs to Jane Burns' office every morning, come back with his hair wet, having showered in her office, and write a story that they had both cooked up after their morning dalliance, right? Right, and we had one city hall reporter sleeping with the city treasurer. It was a different time. Whiskey drinking, philandering. Um, I even saw evidence that one contractor, one developer, was finding a way to slip money to one city hall reporter. It, you know, these standards would get you fired in an instant, but those were the standards at the time. And these were all, for what do you want to say about their philandering and cheating and so forth, um, they were all very good reporters. They probably were well, that a doesn't little, excuse it, though. <laughs> It, it 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 explains it, and it it doesn't detract from the, their their craft, their ability to do journalism. Although some of them have been around so long, they weren't asking the tough questions, um, and some of them were so burned out, they'd go out to Otto's at noontime. That's the local tavern, and come back and sleep in his chair with his hands clamped onto the handles of the chair throughout the afternoon. It, you, you know, it, it was a very different time. Remember that, Franny? <laughs> yeah, I remember when I got my job at the Sun-Times, um, my very good friend Mary Dudinsky, who was the editor, editor at the time, told me that she would, quote, hide me in rewrite meaning that, you know, because I was a radio reporter at WIND, she thought I couldn't write, and therefore she would hide me and rewrite by having me call in quotes to the guys on the front line who would rewrite stories. Guys like um, Ed Schreiber dictated stuff that was turned into wonderful prose by guys on the rewrite desk. So you could get away with that kind of behavior, uh, it was a totally different time in the newspaper business. It really was. And the way so many jobs, entire line items have been eliminated in the newspaper business. You, do, you are your own editor often. And you have to be a one man band doing everything, including right. social media and everything. It's an, it's an amazing transformation in our business. Okay. You've talked about how, boring Mike Belandic was. What a bad fit he was for mayor. What a good fit he was as a judge. What happened there? Well, um, Bridgeport forces simply engineered Madigan into acting mayor and then elected you mean Belandic, mayor. Not yes. Madigan. Yeah. And so uh, he was real expert at finances but he was a dullard um, personally. You know, Eddie Verdoliak used to say a fun Friday night for Mike Belandic was to light a candle, pour a glass of wine, and read the city council journal. <laughs> yeah. But, but because he was so smart, uh, even though he lived with his mother many for many, many years into adulthood, he was very studied and did make a good judge. You're right. And, you know, there's some parallels to Jane Byrne. He created, uh, he and Daly really created Jane Byrne. Um, and Rahm Emanuel really gave Lori Lightfoot the platform that she used to hammer him and ultimately win the office of mayor that he held. 
there's parallels yeah, when, there. Yeah, when Berlanti couldn't handle the blizzard of 79, uh, Jay, Jay McMullen, uh, engineered a candidacy for his girlfriend, Jane Byrne, and it worked because the media loved it. It was a chance to, uh, you know, go up against the machine and defeat it. And, you know, Rahm, when he claimed that he didn't hide the video of the Laquan McDonald murder, <clears throat> which nobody believed, uh, he did hide it until he got himself safely reelected. And that opened the way to a reform movement in which all 50 wards elected Lori Lightfoot over Tony Preckwinkle. The thing that strikes me about Lori Light Lightfoot's election is that she's languishing in the single digits until the first charges were filed against Ed Burke, in which they named the $10,000 campaign contribution that Ed Burke allegedly extorted from the Burger King franchise holder at a fundraiser at his house for Tony Preckwinkle. That, that element that was thrown into that original charge, somewhat gratuitously really, didn't need to be there. But in any event, that and the front page endorsement by my own newspaper of Lori Lightfoot turned the tide of that election. And that's when Lori Lightfoot started rising in the polls and she went on to a landslide victory. Did that ever yeah. strike you that way? It does. It does. Uh, I think those issues that you mentioned, um, connecting everybody else pretty much, especially Tony Preckwinkle, to Ed Burke, was something everybody could see. And here was Lori Lightfoot, uh, somebody who was new and they could trust, at least new to them, pledging to end it all, I think uh, Chicago for that moment might have been ready for reform. And they took the opportunity in the runoff election to express that. And are they still ready for reform? I mean, how's she doing with the reform movement? They're not real happy with her. They don't feel like she has delivered for them on several fronts. I, th I think she's trying. It's a very tough job. And when you've got 50 people who also want to be mayor, the aldermen of the city council, with half a dozen of them socialists, you're never going to please them. And their complaints are always going to be picked up by us in the media because our stock and trade is conflict and controversy. Although I see uh, Lightfoot's fundraising, while not real robust, is, you know, cooking along. And it looks like she will have the resources to put up a good re-election campaign. So I wouldn't bet against her for re-election in 23, although, you know, there's a world of time between then and now. I, I think her heart is in the right place. And institutions like poli the police department are very hard to turn in a new direction. And the street violence problem with all the gun violence we, you and I have been watching that for half a century, and that problem never goes away. It just overcomes every mayor who comes along. So if the voters think that uh, Lori Lightfoot is trying to do a good job, they'll probably put her back in office. But, you know, you can't beat somebody with nobody, and we don't know who the uh, candidates will be yet for 2023 as challengers. But if she doesn't get a handle on this crime epidemic, 
And I don't think Chicagoans want to hear that it's happening elsewhere. Don't don't bother me with that. I want to know what you're going to do in my city to keep me safe and my family. If she doesn't get a handle on that, won't that have a tremendous impact on the election and her ability to get reelected? It will, especially if you have a law and order challenger who's credible and has money. Um, but she's not going to get a handle on the crime problem. She can only, like all of her predecessors, try to contain it. And that's the trick, that she has to contain it, and she has to let the voters know that she's trying her best to do that. Is David Brown, her Dallas, retired Dallas police chief, up to the task, or is he a duck out of water here and, and not ready for the prime time of Chicago coming from a smaller place like Dallas? Well, outsiders are never welcome at the police department, as we know. I mean, uh, Gary McCarthy got thrown to the wolves by Rahm Emanuel. Unfairly, uh, I thought. Yeah, he was the scapegoat for the Laquan McDonald uh, murder. Uh, And it's easier to throw somebody overboard who's an outsider. Uh, David Brown tries to do it by the book, seems to be sincere, and is trying to do it uh, for all the right reasons. But you're right, as long as the crime problem is not contained, he is the logical scapegoat. And before 23, you might see him thrown under the bus. What did you make of Lori Lightfoot saying that it's not a gimme that she'll run for re-election? We've seen mayors in Atlanta and other places say, you know what, one term's enough. Well, you know, that's always a possibility. It's a terrible job. It's very taxing. You and I wouldn't be surprised, as we weren't with Rich Daly after he had, uh, you know, been in long the longest serving period for him to stop serving. You know, it is day and night, seven days a week. However, she's sending all the signals with fundraising and the way she's uh, setting herself into issues that I would expect, like most, they'll go for at least two terms. But beyond that, you know, Maybe uh, nothing more than that. But as you and I have talked in the press room, after daily, because of all the big problems, and we haven't mentioned finances, we might be in for a series of one-term mayors because of all the bad decisions they have to make that affect taxpayers, right? Yeah. Rich, you mentioned Rich Daly. Uh, I always felt that well, first of all, when he lost the Olympics, which started out as a diversion, the 2016 Olympic quest, it started out as a diversion from the scandals. And then he started to believe that Chicago was going to win. Then we all started to believe Chicago was going to going to win. I remember that daily in the Daily Plaza when everybody was waiting for the announcement from Copenhagen. And we were sure we were going to be coronated as the host of the 2016 Summer Games. And it took our breath away that Chicago was eliminated in the first round. And we all wrote that this was the beginning of the end for Daly, that he would not run for reelection. And he came home with his tail between his legs and said, you're writing my obituary. But in fact, he didn't run again. Why do you think he didn't run again? Uh, Was it the corruption? Was it a ROM type decision where he felt like he couldn't win or what? What was it? Well, I think I think he was just burned out. And he had set the record, and his wife was in big health trouble. Um, 
for him too, like me, it's probably the timing is right as a time to step out. And you mentioned the 2016 Olympics. Uh, in retrospect, Chicago would have been a much better location. But the stunning thing about that decision is that Chicago, of all places, daily of all people, got beat at their own game, politics. <laughs> Do you think and it was so, corrupt, that IOC vote? Well, we know that it was because one of the key players has admitted in subsequent legal proceedings that he took a bribe. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm of the view that, as uh, Garth Brooks said, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers because every city that wins the Olympics loses financially. And look at what's happening in Tokyo now. Look at what happened elsewhere. Look what happened in Rio. You never make your investment back. Never. That that's right. It would have been uh, the elephant in the room would have been so much bigger. I mean, it was it was bad enough that Daly gave away the store to uh, the unions in advance of this to make sure he had labor peace if he got the Olympics. But you're right. I mean, it's if it's not one thing, it's another. As in Japan right now, Tokyo. I mean, there's nobody, literally nobody in the stands, and they had to build all that infrastructure. So you're right. And, and Madigan, Mike Madigan, say what you will about him. He did warn Daly early on that you shouldn't be doing this just because of these reasons. And it started out, like I said, as a diversion from the scandals. What made Richard M. Daly so tone deaf to cronyism and corruption? You had the hired truck scandal, the city hiring scandal. Uh, where the armies, the HDO, the Hispanic Democratic Organization and other pro-daily armies literally controlled city hiring. You had cronyism with the Duffs and the minority contracting scandal. What was it, do you think, that made Richard M. Daley so tone deaf to the point where he allowed his son to have a sewer deal, his nephew to have city pension deals, he, everybody around him got rich? What was it about him? Well, I think he's like his father. You know, that's the way politics was played under his father. You know, you're careful not to get caught yourself, but so often you look the other way and you don't want to know about this. I mean, he used to tell the story of sitting in the soldier field stands with Bill Clinton once upon a time, and they started talking shop and he hushed him up until the Secret Service guys couldn't overhear them. He just never wanted to be in a room with people who he thought were, you know, shouldn't be overheard by him. Like he famously talked about not wanting to be in a room with State Senator Ricky Hendon, Hollywood Hendon, over some issue. But part of that is looking the other way and not making sure that you're making sure nobody else is corrupt. So, you know, that's what you get when you're not steadfast on keeping a sharp eye on what's going on uh, beyond your office. And when you have your brother's law firm suddenly rising as the preeminent Chicago zoning attorney under your mayoralty, then I guess the message goes out to your buddies. Well, if they can yeah. get theirs, we can get ours, too. Plus, uh, in the last half of his many terms, you didn't have strong advisors like Ed Bedore and um, Tim Dagnan. Um, 
who also That's got right. wealthy, by the way, and Jeremiah That's Joyce. Right. With Bedour and Degnan gone, there was nobody around to tell Daly the second, don't do that. You can't do that. He just uh, was beginning to feel his own oats and popularity and uh, did things that he should have known better than and what he would have been advised not to do. And so that brings us full circle to the corruption of today. You've got Ed Burke, who is uh, still awaiting trial. Who knows when that'll happen? You've got Mike Madigan being surrounded, having been driven out of office, both as House Speaker and Party Chairman of Illinois, Democratic Party Chairman. You have Mike McLean and uh, and uh, whatever his name is, uh, Mapes, having been indicted themselves. Will they get Mike Madigan, do you think? What do you think? I kind of think no. I think that McLean is going to take the fall and go to prison and say nothing to uh, under oath about Madigan, if indeed there is anything to say. I think uh, Madigan is going to survive just because he's been so very careful. But you're right, uh, on so many fronts, the stubborn problem of corruption never goes away. I, I did a Sunday show on this recently, and uh, one of the things Lori Lightfoot said, and she used to be a prosecutor in the U.S. Attorney's Office, she sent uh, Alderman Virgil Jones up the river, you will recall. I asked her why they just keep stealing, and uh, she said, well, stupidity and arrogance. They're just stupid, and they're so arrogant that they, uh, they think they can get away with it. And other people in this uh, Sunday show or documentary uh, we're saying things like, you know, when you're around Springfield so much and you're courted by the lobbyists, you think you're entitled to some of this. And Durbin and said Ed if Burke, Ed Burke, who everybody thought was so meticulous and so careful, wasn't that at all according to the indictments and the and and the portrait of him being portrayed by federal prosecutors. They show him as a rather brazen person who says, I want your business, who presents his card to a to a city contractor and demands it and doesn't and holds up their uh, legislation and the finance committee or their permits or whatever until he gets their business and says, have we landed the tuna yet? So are they going to get him or is he going to stall this out? Well, there's so many pieces of tape and so many documents. I mean, there's thousands of them and he's paying so much money to the best lawyers that he may run out the clock on this. So I wouldn't be surprised if somehow he, you know, cheats justice, if indeed he is guilty. He just got sloppy. He's the classic case of sloppy. the guy who... Sloppy, have a brazen. If the, if the portrait is correct, there's a brazenness, there's an arrogance to it. Well, he, he when I say sloppy, he just got sloppy on a phone, on a telephone, at a time when he should have known and probably did know that the feds are listening to your every your every syllable so i say sloppy and brazen is probably true too so bill as you walk away what will you miss most well i will miss my friends in the press room folks like you because it's quite a fraternity and sorority isn't it and uh, it's um Really, there's great comedy <laughs> written among us in the press room, which is, which I will miss very much. Um, the politicians, you know, they seem 
less important as time passes because the problems never get solved and they just really just get bigger. So I think I'll miss you guys the most. And the corruption just never ends and it never will, unfortunately. It, it never will. I, I covered the trials of all four governors who got sent up the river. And, you know, it's this arrogance and stupidity comes out every time in those trials. And some of them just won't stop trying to be part of the public debate, like famously lately, Rod Blagojevich. Bill Cameron, thank you so much for your career, your 51 years, your time, your generosity, your humor, and for being such a wonderful colleague and a wonderful reporter all these many years. Enjoy the retirement you have earned. Thanks, Franny. Thanks for making me feel a little important. It's been great fun. And we will see you all next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.